Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in Revelation chapter 4. Um, so Revelation 4 and 5 are some of my favorite passages in the Bible. Really chapter 5 is, is my absolute favorite chapter in all the Bible. And what we have here is, is we're transitioning from uh, the brokenness of the earth uh, particularly in chapters 2 and 3 where we see the churches. And so the churches are imperfect. Uh, the churches are, are dealing with various issues, theological issues, moral issues, and whatnot. Uh, but now we're getting the opposite. So what we see is the decay of the earth in chapters 1 to 3, particularly 2 and 3, um, to now we are taking to uh, the magnificence of the throne room in chapter a four and five. And so that contrast is important. But also what we have in these two chapters is the emphasis on worship. Remember what we said uh, when we began uh, these these day-by-day -day, uh, studies through Revelation. And that is that um, worship, proper worship, is a central theme of the book. So if you go back to those, those uh, letters to the churches, what really uh, they're risking to, to, to lose their churches essentially because of, of worship issues, theological issues, morality issues, whatever. Uh, uh, improper worship and a, and a wrong understanding who, who Christ is and all that sort of stuff leads to, to, to decay. And so now what we have is the divine counsel. We, we, we get uh, the doors open to use the imagery of Revelation. But uh, the curtain is pulled to use Wizard of Oz imagery uh, is is pulled, and we see uh, the, the worship and the uh, glory of God um, here for us. And so we see there in verse one, John um, uh, is is said in a voice is told in a voice, "Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this." I just want to make a, a brief comment. It'll probably give me trouble. Um, a lot of those who hold to a dispensationalist perspective of um, Revelation, they see this as the lone reference to the rapture. Um, I think you're, you're really forcing things um, here. The point isn't that John's being raptured up, um, but rather it is, it is to say uh, that this is uh, John um, going from one place to another for, for the sake of, of, of the reader, right? Um, so, so this is part of the vision, if you will. Um, but those who, who are trying to find a rapture in Revelation, a bit forcing it here, but uh, you're free to disagree with me on that. I really want to move down to verse 4. Around the throne, so, so he, he sees um, uh, the glory of God in his essence. So around the throne, 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones are 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Now, um, there's a lot of debate as to what the 24 elders are. And you can pick up any commentary or, God forbid, any website, um, and you're going to find a different answer every time. Um, I will point out a few things worth noting. One, 24 is only used here in Revelation. Uh, only in the book of Revelation, regarding the 24 elders uh, and their 24 thrones, are you going to find this number. So a lot of people, uh, rightly, when it comes to Revelation, when you see numbers, 3, 10, 7, 6, whatever, is they have an Old Testament correlation. We're going to see an emphasis with the seven spirits and, and, and whatnot. Well, seven obviously is connected uh, all the way back to creation, seven days of creation. The first verse of the Bible has seven words. The second verse of the Bible has 14 words. There's seven uses of good in chapter one. There's, there's seven is all over chapter one of Genesis. And throughout the rest of the Bible, seven becomes a number of completion uh, and fullness and whatnot. Well, that makes sense. Um, but 24, we, we don't really have that, that precedent. 
The one thing we can say about 24 is, is its relation to the number 12. 12, of course, associated with Israel. Jesus chooses, chooses 12 disciples as a new Israel, right? So when we went through Matthew, we talked about it in some detail. Jesus is a true and better Israel. And so he comes having gone through the wilderness for 40 days, as opposed to 49, uh, 40 years, uh, having been baptized, corresponding to the Red Sea, having climbed a mountain, right? Uh, like Mount Sinai and preached from uh, Sermon on the Mount. He chooses 12 disciples for the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, 24 is, of course, 12 doubled. Um, and so many will see some sort of connection to Israel, whatever that, that may look like. Um, elders, of course, is, is a, a term that has Old Testament precedent, has a New Testament precedent. Remember that John is referred to as the elder in his epistles, right? So, um, so, so, so there's a lot going on here. Uh, are these uh, representatives of, of the tribes? Whatever. Here, here's, here's at the end of the day what, what we need to see here is um, we need to think of what we see in chapters 4 and 5 and other parts of Revelation as a peek into the divine council. These mysterious beings who, who are present, uh, some are angels and archangels and whatnot. Some are uh, less clearly identified for us. So we'll get cherubim and seraphim. They're not the same thing as angels and other beings. So it's likely what you have with both the 24 elders here in verse 4 and then starting in, in verse uh at the end of verse 6, you get the four living creatures, are these mysterious divine uh, beings, a part of the divine council. And there's a lot of mystery around them uh, that, that goes beyond our purposes here. Uh, but what we do need to see is, is, is they are uh, clothed in white, and they have golden crowns on their heads, and it is they, in chapter 5, who will uh, cast their crown. So you fans of casting crowns, where, where we get, they get their, their, their name, band name, they cast their crowns before the, the feet of, 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 of Christ, right? And they worship him, and so everyone falls down, beginning with the 24 elders. So we see that they are close uh, to, to the throne. And, and, and from what I understand is the 24 is also divisive by six, uh, or really, I should say by four. So what you have is is a square around the throne is the idea here. If if my reading is correct, and I'm probably getting a lot of this wrong, I'm sure. Um, so you have is six elders on each side, um, and so what you have is all around the throne are these uh, elders of the divine council, and we see them in chapters four and five worshiping the the Lamb who was slain. Chapter four, he's creator. Chapter five. He's Redeemer. Um, with that, obviously there, there's a lot here. Time will allow us to go in a lot of detail. But you'll notice verse 5, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne um, there was, as it were, a sea of glass-like crystal. So we, we, we get a picture of what the throne room is really like, right? Now, it makes sense, lightning and thunder, because think about it. The Mount Sinai, what did Moses and Aaron experience when they uh, met there? Now, remember in ancient times, gardens and mountains is where the gods dwelled, 
right? Or, or images of, of, of the gods. So, so what we get is the Garden of Eden, right? Uh, where, where God uh, dwells with men. And then also, particularly after Genesis 3, we see God meeting with uh, men in, at the top of mountains. It's a very common imagery at this time. The mountains where man cannot reach in ancient times. So, so the gods live there. Well, in the Bible, God and man meet at the top of a mountain. So Mount Sinai um, with, with Moses um, and the Ten Commandments. Abraham had a similar experience at the same mountain with uh, um, the sacrifice of Isaac. Elijah will go to the same mountain and have a conversation with God. There it's in a whisper, not with thunder and lightning. Uh, later, Jesus will climb a mountain and, and be transfigured. At other places, he's seen teaching from uh, the Mount of Sinai, uh, uh, Mount, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, or the uh, uh, Mount of Olives, right? And he teaches. It's a common imagery we have, and often it is associated with thunder and lightning. See the same thing at the cross, isn't it? Where, where the wrath of God is poured out. Well, this is this is common imagery of the presence of God. Um, and in fact, that's not the only thing that that so that's what John hears. What he sees is actually laid out in verse three: uh, jasper, carnelian, uh, and a rainbow. Now, now these stones are seen later in the New Jerusalem, and they do have an Old Testament precedent with temple worship. Okay? So that shouldn't be surprising. The temple is to be an earthly abode uh, for God Himself, right? So, so when um, the tabernacle is dedicated in um, Numbers. Um, uh, the Spirit of God comes down, there's thunder and lightning, right? Um, uh, same thing happens when Solomon dedicates the temple uh, in, uh, to Samuel. So uh, this is all common imagery. The rainbow, a lot of people are confused by it. It's a unique word he uses in, in Greek that didn't really correspond to Septuagint. Uh, is, is my understanding. Um, but I, I think the, the importance of it is clear. This is a God of faithfulness. This is a God of covenant. Um, but with that, so so back back down to verse 5, uh, you get the seven torches of fire, the seven spirits of God. So seven is, is clearly uh, the, the importance here. Uh, I suspect the torches of fire is, is, is the idea of light. Uh, so you have a fullness of light, as you do with the carnelian and the jasper, and all this is to emphasize light. So you have the white garments, and you have crowns. It's light. Um, the seven spirits of God, a lot of people, I think, read too much into that. It just means that the fullness of, of God's spirit, right? It's the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, fullness thereof. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like crystal. So what you have here is... Um, a first century man trying to explain um, the magnitude of the presence of God. So this is why if we could pause here, and I, we're probably going to go long here. That's okay. It's Revelation. It's probably what you've been waiting for anyways. Um, when we hear people say, I don't want to go to heaven and sing hymns all the time, that reflects just how ignorant we really are. You cannot read these few verses, and we've not even gotten to the cool parts. We, you can't read the, these, these few verses and just your jaw not drop at the incomprehensible nature of the presence of God. There's a reason why when Isaiah is brought into the throne room, and there you see the divine counsel of the cherubim singing. And what is his response? I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I, I'm not worthy to worship, to join in the chorus. It isn't that, man, this is boring. Is there like a pond I go fishing somewhere? Rather, it's, it's, I'm unworthy to be here. Send me anywhere else. Because that's what I deserve. 
you, so, so, so whenever we, we think of heaven as a place of boring, it's, it's, it's because you've never encountered scripture, uh, Christ as Scripture portrays him. Uh, and that's why chapters 4 and 5 are so important in the Bible. That's why I love them so much. Um, verse At the end of verse 6, we're introduced to the four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. Growing up, we, we, we call that person Mama, right, who had eyes in the back. But All right, so so the four living creatures, one uh, had a face of a lion, the other had a face of an ox, the third had a face of a man, the fourth a face of an eagle in flight. So the question is, um, oh, and there's more details, verse 8, each of them with six wings full of eyes all around within, so they, they see everything. Um, day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. I'm going to come to that here in a second. So who are the four living creatures? Again, it's, it's, it's like the 24 elders. You're going to have plenty of options here, um, and and they're all very compelling. But but let's not overcomplicate what we have here. If if you just look at this passage from from afar, what what do we see? John has the the proverbial curtain removed, and what does he sees is is he sees these mysterious twenty four elders wrapped around the throne, right? And they're going to cast their crown. So they're they have a royal royalty with them. They they have a, a positions of influence and power with them. Then we see these four living creatures who too are near the throne. And and these four living creatures are taken from Ezekiel 1 and other parts of Ezekiel, particularly Ezekiel 1. So if you watch enough ancient aliens, um, they're supposedly uh, ancient astronauts coming down. That's not what Ezekiel meant. He's describing these these uh, part of the divine council, these these divine beings, uh, mysterious as they are, and and these these descriptions of an ox and lion and man and eagle and all that, they they have their own purposes. Um, but what you have is again a first century man trying to describe the indescribable, and with each of these descriptions, it means certain things. So 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 they can see everything. It's basically, they're, they're divine beings. It was common in ancient Near Eastern culture to to describe beings that that had animal descriptions. Uh, we see this in Greek culture, Egyptian culture, and Babylonian culture, and Sumerian culture, and Assyrian and Philistine culture. These are everywhere. And so what you have are ancient men um, familiar with that imagery are, are sharing with us uh, to the best of their ability using some of that same same imagery. Um, but, but, but what is important for the reader, what John wants the reader to get from here is what these mysterious four living creatures say. Now, if you want to know more about them, go back and read Ezekiel 1. That's where you're going to get the wheel within the wheel and all that, all that sort of stuff. But notice what they are doing. They are singing, and they never cease to sing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, that who was and is and is to come clearly takes us back to chapter 1, where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega who was and is and is to come. So, so what we have here in chapter 4, if you're still with me, is you have the 24 elders. They're in the throne room, wrapped around and surrounding him. You have these mysterious four living creatures. So you think of a block. you got you got six on each side, one four living creature on each side is, is the way I think it's going. Again, I could be wrong in that, that minor detail. And, and what are they singing? They're singing to Christ, the one who was and is and is to come. Clearly a reference to death and resurrection, as chapter 5 make make very clear. But that language of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty should sound familiar to you. Not only do we sing it in our hymn book, 
But that's taken from Isaiah 6. When Isaiah sees the Lord in his very essence sitting on the throne, what is the song being sang there? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so John is saying, that's what I'm seeing here. So is it any wonder then that the being that is being sang to in Isaiah 6, the one who cleanses Isaiah of his sin, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell with a people of unclean lips, and he is cleansed of that, is the one identified as Christ in John's apocalypse. So what we have then is the exaltation and the worship of the Savior, who in chapter 4 is creator. So you have the four living creatures with the 24 elders singing. Verse 9, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him. Oh, it's a good definition of worship, isn't it? What is worship? To give glory, honor, thanks. It'd be worthwhile to meditate on those terms and to do a word study of them. What does it mean to, to glory uh, God? What does it mean to honor Christ? What does it mean to, to, to thank him? So to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. And they say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Again, that imagery of casting crowns is the, the imagery of surrendering all that I am and all, all the power I may have because you and you alone possess it all. And later what we'll see in Revelation is that this is what the kings of the earth do. They hoard it for themselves. They oppress and victimize others for their own glory and majesty and power. So you get the beast and the false prophet and you get all of this. But then what happens in the end when they encounter the resurrected Savior who both conquers and liberates in Revelation? What are they seen doing? They cast their crowns before the throne. Now, remember, this book is not just about worship. It is also an indictment on the nations. And in this context, Rome, but more broadly, the nations. For what we'll see, particularly in chapter 5, is the gathering of the nations in the worship of Messiah. While at the same time, the condemning of powers to be who reject the Messiah. And what is it they sing here? You created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That doctrine of creation is vital. In fact, I believe that chapter 5 won't be as beautiful and awesome as it is with its language of redemption without appreciating creation. Look, redemption is creation. What God does in Genesis 1, he does in John 3.16. And it's described throughout the Bible as a new heart. Uh, and God breathes new life into us. He gives us a new identity. Because the God who is creator is the God who is redeemer. And redemption is an act of creation. This is why Christianity, and only Christianity can say, you are not your past, you are not whatever tribe you're put in, arbitrary by the culture, 
You are not your ancestry. You are not your upbringing. If you are in Christ, you are new. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow.